Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Looking to unleash your full potential? Let's deep dive into the powerful secrets with renowned author and speaker, Cynthia Sue Larson. Brace yourself for an intense transformation as she demystifies quantum jumping for you, arming you with practical tools to create dazzling shifts in your everyday life. Discover the raw force of liberating tension and restoring your inner balance through a potent daily routine. Unearth the deep benefits of self-care, unwinding and profound connection, paving the way to unmatched well-being. Say goodbye to the relentless cycle of discontent and conflict. Cynthia navigates you towards transcending the drama triangle, welcoming a serene state of neutrality, peace and affectionate relationships fostered by meditation and self-introspection. Spark your miracles and blessings as Cynthia introduces her go-to question, how good can it get? Step into the infinite potential of the universe, controlling the power of your thoughts and words. Dive into the warmth, wisdom, and true passion of Cynthia. Let her ignite her ambition to craft an extraordinary life brimming with love, excitement, and boundless opportunities. Don't miss out on the thrilling adventure. Activate your inner quantum power and transform your life today. Enjoy. So today I'm super excited about our guest. We have the lovely Cynthia, Cynthia Sue Larson. I can't believe I just said that. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine. I'm so happy to be with you today. I'm the super other- excited about having you on the show today. And the way that we love to get started is we always love to ask our guests to share your story. So Cynthia, what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Well, it's a long story, so I'll summarize it. (laughs) But I've had a lifelong fascination for consciousness, really, just even as a little girl, just noticing that there seemed to be interaction with with what I was thinking, how I was feeling, and nature would really respond. It really was sort of like think a question and get answers. So I noticed that as a child. And um, I was a very mystical child. I really did remember being in in existence. I remembered being some kind of consciousness before I was born. So there's a there's a name for that, born aware, and there's a book by that name by Diane Brandon. And anyway, um, basically, after having that experience of feeling like I remember having been conscious before this, and 
I, I sort of felt like it was the wrong planet because people would say one thing um, based on what they were thinking, but they would obviously, I was so, so such a sensitive, empathic child. I could feel how they were really feeling. And I could see there was a problem with between what they were saying, how they were feeling, and then what they were doing. It was almost um, kind of schizophrenic. And it wasn't just one person. It seemed like it was a systemic global problem all around or quite a few people were that way but I love nature because animals and plants seemed like they were much more pulled together much more integrated uh, but my first feeling was like this has got to be the wrong planet um, so early in my life I had basically an angelic intervention that reminded me of what my purpose was and it gave me a choice like you could because I wanted to leave I thought okay I'm done with this place then <laughs> you're five years I'm five years old I want to go home now because it seems like it's a little off. You know, it doesn't seem as joyful and blissful as what I remember from right before I was born. I mean, it's nothing to compare with that. Um, but these angels, if you, I, they didn't call themselves angels. They were just these glowing, bright beings of light that seemed like they were always there. And they just manifested uh, around me in my bedroom and time slowed to a stop. And they just gave me a choice. You can live fast or slow. And I didn't know oh, I knew what they meant because I'm five years old and I thought oh they're trying to get me to stick around longer live slow but anyway they showed me that um, things wouldn't be the same if I left for my family for other people and for myself and so the one that got with me was for myself that they said I'd be back that I chose this I'm like what <laughs> why uh, but anyway they said this is an exciting time to be alive. There's a lot that can happen. And so that really launched my whole life. And then it kind of went under um, into the subconscious for many years. So I followed the path that my that pleased my father, studied math and the sciences, got into physics, because it has a consciousness component, took as many psychology classes as possible, and then worked in the banking industry, bizarrely, because I went on and got an MBA degree. So I do have an MBA degree and a physics degree, but then I recognized that that wasn't really me, especially once I had a uh, Kundalini awakening that um, just, just brought me back to that original state feeling of what I'm really here to do. And that, of course, completely transformed everything I was doing, which had been project management in the banking financial sector. So now I'm doing life coaching and writing metaphysical books. And um, that Kundalini awakening was a doozy. <laughs> so it really, it brought things back together. If people don't know what that is, it just feels like wave after wave of energy flowing through. I felt like I was just on fire with electricity, bioenergy, and just, it was difficult to sleep. I had 360 degree vision with my eyes closed. I was um, spontaneously astral traveling. It was wild. Um, and there was even a sense that I might be losing my mind at one point. However, I, I was able to still get up in front of people and give talks because um, during that same time period, I was re specifically requested to come give a talk to hundreds of people about what I'd done as a community um, figure of just bringing community together to save a school. And so I was in charge of that project. And but to give a talk when I was feeling like my whole worldview is crumbling, my sense of reality is so different, but I was fine. I could still give a talk, but that was the beginning of realizing my whole life from now on will be very different. So and that's, that's how I came to do what I'm doing now, which is to write and talk about these topics of the reality shifts, 
quantum jumping and the Mandela effect, all about how our mind and matter interact um, and tying in the consciousness elements that I like to reference from quantum physics, as well as from psychology and spirituality. So I do my best to bring it together, make it down to earth and practical for all of us. Wow, that's amazing. And I guess too, with because we hear a lot about Kundalini awakening, what did you do specifically to receive the awakening? Well, um, I guess about six months earlier, because about six months, this the awakening happened in the fall when I was 32 years old. And then that's earlier that spring, I had commented to a cousin of mine that I felt like I was sleepwalking through life. I felt like I wasn't awake. It was really bothering me. Like I was trying to wake up, but I couldn't quite do it. And it was the weirdest feeling. And so that was the, if you want to call it just the the, the first thing that prompted it was just a strong desire like to get out of the fog I felt like I'm in a fog I'm not really me I need to wake up um and I didn't quite know what that meant I was I was hoping she would know because she was very spiritual very religious Catholic living in Germany she'd been raised in California but moved to Germany and she was immersed in the Catholic faith but I thought certainly she would relate to this she must have seen someone else going through this and she was very empathetic. <laughs> I don't think she'd actually seen someone going quite through what I was going through. Uh, but then six months later, uh, my husband at the time, my first husband, went to a conference. And then when he came back, he said he'd had an amazing epiphany. And that was really the trigger. It's like I'd been waiting, 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 waiting for that moment. Uh, and then I was like, <laughs> like wow. <laughs> because then I started seeing um, spirit guides and, and just getting direct answers and being awakened by my my high self if you will at 111 222 333 444 and 555 every night for like two weeks straight and that was the normal part of the experience that was just to show me you're not imagining this um when you're traveling about astral travel knowing things seeing things it was it was quite um an eye-opener and it felt like it just completely dissolved my material realist um trappings of the way that I viewed the world so you didn't do it because you hear about it but you hear people specifically going uh to some ritual uh uh and to to receive the kundalini awakening so this just automatically happened it's not like you went to a ceremony you didn't go and have like no ritual nothing was involved it just happened Right. It just happened. But I think it does tie in with my earlier feeling and remembrance of being in existence before I was born. I, I'm certain that that had a lot to do with this kind of a spontaneous awakening, that on some level, I knew already that I wasn't fully that I was meant to be fully awake in my life. And it should be happening. It's like I'm checking my watch like it hasn't happened. I'm not awake yet. What's going on? <laughs> So I didn't, I don't think I required a special program or training. I did get special assistance from my guides at that time, which was very good, um, very one-on-one. -on -one. And I was able to see them and hear them. So aside from some initial concern, am I still functional? Yes, I was still functional because I could still give a talk in front of hundreds of people and it made sense and so forth. And people didn't seem to notice that on the inside, my reality is crumbling. <laughs> so it's interesting. It sounds like you did well uh, to maneuver through life, regardless of what was taking place. You you mentioned about uh, quantum jumping. Can you talk us through what exactly is that? Okay, it's um, it's a 
term that I started using when I published my book, Quantum Jumps. And basically, it's the idea is um, it starts from quantum physics, actually. So some people say, well, you're misusing the term. But I actually think not, because in quantum physics, if we look at what do they mean by a quantum jump, they're talking about a very specific situation where if, if you remember those when you went to school, you studied these atomic models, there'd be a nucleus. And then there, within the nucleus, there's a proton and a neutron. And then the little negatively charged electrons are buzzing around, kind of like little planets going around the sun. Looks like that. The electrons belong to certain shells of energy levels. And so it's possible for the electron, which is a quantum indivisible um, item. It's, it's a little it's a particle. <laughs> and so it's capable of making a jump from one energy level to another, from one shell of energy to another. And it can do that almost instantaneously. In the 1980s, that was observed for the first time by human eyes in a laboratory setting. So I'm mentioning it that way because what we're witnessing is a quantum particle instantaneously jumping from one energy level to another. There's sometimes a little flash of light discharged when that energy is released. And that's significant because it's showing us that there's this capability of something that's indivisible, or that was the original idea. That was the word quantum. It's like we want to define the building blocks of matter. So that little quantum electron is making that shift, um, an energetic jump, and it's doing it instantly. And so when, when I'm talking about quantum jumps, I'm then taking that concept that we see in the quantum so-called realm, <laughs> you know, beneath the, that Planck scale, and and then saying this is actually possible on every single scale in the universe. There is no limit. And so instantly what that means is it's possible for any of us to, to do the things that quantum particles do, which would be teleporting. They can do teleportation. They can be entangled so that one is instantly communicating with another across time and space. And so one is spin up. The others, we know if they're entangled, the other one's spin down. And they make that switch simultaneously. So all of these things are capable at all levels of reality. So ultimately, what I really mean by quantum jump is that we can be in one state or in one physical existence reality, one moment, and then experience something completely different in the next moment. And I, I use this phrase, quantum jump, for a conscious kind of a shift, whereas previously I'd been using the terminology reality shift for something where we witness a, an inexplicable, seemingly, uh, change in the way reality suddenly is um, involving something that appeared, disappeared, transformed, transported, or there's been some change in the way we experience time. So these terms are almost synonymous, and I think I'm not going to quibble about them, but quantum jumping would be the terminology I'd use when someone sets out to go from noticing in the morning, wow, I think I'm catching a cold, I can't be sick today. I'm going to, instead of catching the cold, I'm going to imagine I'm getting over it. I'll be basically quantum jumping out of this cold. And so instead of coming down with the cold, I'm releasing it. I'm like, oh, thank goodness I'm finally feeling better. <clears throat> and this is, a, I'm mentioning this example because most of us are quite good at doing something similar when we haven't had enough sleep and we tell ourselves, I feel really well rested. So it, these are the kind of things that we can use on a practical day-to-day -day basis. It also includes remarkable shifts that some people might find really hard to believe <laughs> involving things that we absolutely need. Um, and I'll, here's one that people report to me 
lots of times, but they don't think anyone else experiences it. But it's ridiculously common um, because in a group of maybe 100 people, I'd say 5% have experienced it based on people that come to me after a talk to tell me they'll whisper, this happened to, to me. And what that is, is to, uh, usually it's involving a traffic near accident, maybe a head-on collision, or there's just a situation where there's nowhere to go. There's no place to be safe, but that person, and they don't know how to describe it. They were just face-to-face -face with an oncoming truck, maybe an 18-wheeler in a narrow tunnel, and it's just no no way to get out of it. The next thing they know, they're on, they're, it's like they pass through each other. And that kind of thing happens more often than I think most people realize. And guess where that's very common? <laughs> that's right, the quantum realm. Um, that is quantum tunneling. It's something that we do see frequently with quantum particles. And so to expect that, of course, if we say some of these quantum phenomena might happen on the macroscopic scale, I think we can expect all of them to. And that's definitely a big one. Well, that's amazing. And I always look at that as a mindset shift, what you're talking about. So, for mm -hmm. example, if I'm not feeling well and I keep thinking to myself, oh, I'm feeling horrible, I'm feeling terrible, I'm feeling tired, you can start almost feeling worse. But there are times where I'm saying, I'm not going to allow this to get to me and I might rest, but I will continue to act as if it's not really taking place. So is that what you're talking about, quantum jumping, going from one reality to another? Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you think of it from the original definition that there's that, um, remember the electron jumping from one level of energy to another, uh, there is energy involved as well. So, But you can get that by just doing a deep breath, um, by doing some Tai Chi or Qigong or whatever charges you up, maybe coffee. Some people say, all I do is coffee. Okay. Well, whatever it works for whatever works for you, but you do need to raise your energy um, a little bit. And you can even put a pen in your mouth and turn your corners. If you can't smile, you can turn your corners of your mouth up. <laughs> Anything like that it looks stupid, but it works. And all of these things can help to give you that little boost of energy. It makes such a difference because otherwise just acting as if without that energy, there can be, it's like you're trying to run the car with no gas in the tank. So you really need the, the fuel in the tank. You need that energy boost. But you can just scoop up energy and say, like, bring me the energy I need. It can be that simple. If, if you feel like I, I can't do anything in this moment, yes, you can. Just do a big chigung swoop. <laughs> scoop up that beautiful energy and bring it to yourself. And that energy and then acting as if. Uh, and if you don't know quite what you're doing, you can just um, hope for the best outcome. But if you specifically have something in mind and it feels doable, that's great. That, that's really good. So there are different ways to customize this to make it work for each individual person. You know, different people are different in terms of how they can visualize or if they can visualize that kind of thing. So, so you're saying it's not just a matter of thinking about it, but it's about feeling the energy of healing yourself from whatever you're experiencing. So it's not just a mindset shift. It's the energy that goes with it. And I, I'm just trying to make sense of uh, when you're saying, because I know from a physical body, um, I always say in some of my classes, try staying in a bad mood and skipping. It's almost impossible because the body, as you are skipping, the mind's going, hang on a minute. You just you were saying to me before that you're really grumpy and now you're skipping. Is that, is that what you're, you're talking about, being physically shifting the energy? Or can we do that with the way that we feel, like move uh, our emotion from one emotion to another? 
It depends on the person. Some people are quite facile at going from one emotion to another. Um, I think the physical thing works for almost everybody unless they're incapacitated and they can't, they can't get out of the, you know, they've got one maybe chronic fatigue or they're in a wheelchair and so forth. But, um, but hopefully there's something that people can do physically, no matter who they are, that won't overtax their abilities. Because that's usually the easiest, but not in all cases. It really is a individual thing. Yeah, I work one-on-one with clients, and I like doing that because I do notice the differences are so gigantic from one person to the next. And um, the people who have been meditating for many, many decades, they're in a whole different category. So they're able to quickly do things and attain a very uh, coherent state of consciousness with full alignment. And that's not something most beginners can do, but there are exceptions. So so the physical thing, jumping up and down for a quantum jump, um, I've had people have really good success with that who are worried about going to do a follow-up appointment because they were noticing, okay, my cancer's going away. And I was recommending just jump in the elevator when you get nervous. You're going to the appointment anyway. You're in an elevator jump. <laughs> and so he did that and it worked great because then he could really feel like he's jumping into a new reality. Plus it gives you that physical rush. So you get all the boosts, you get the energy that you need. It's easier to act as if, and it just feels really good. So it sort of shakes made, loose. Yeah. It just made me think of something that it, it is true. Like your mind can't tell the difference between what is real and what is not real. And I remember I had to do a talk and I didn't even know, I, I, I really didn't know how big the talk was going to be, but there was thousands of people. And I was so nervous. And here I was on the back uh, of the stage, like jumping up and down, trying to trick my mind because I was there, I had to do it, but but trick my mind that I was excited rather than nervous. Yes. So it just, you just gave me a visual when you were explaining. Yes. And when I was in the physics department at UC Berkeley, I was one of six women and there were thousands of men, thousands of men, six women. To, and I hardly saw them. I, I knew there were six because it was published somewhere. I didn't see them. And so what I constantly told myself is lots of people just like me do really well at physics <laughs> at UC Berkeley. Never mind that like <laughs> there's so few of us that I don't even see the other ones. Maybe once in a while. It was it was crazy. But you, you can fool yourself that way and it's a very positive thing to do. Mm. And I had I had tremendous success with that. Cause I'd sort of, I just repeated it to myself all the time like a mantra. Lots of people just like me are doing great at physics. Like really, where are they? No, just keep stay focused. <laughs> Cause yeah. this was before before women got into the whole science, technology, engineering, and math, the STEM, you know. So yeah. it was before all that. Very powerful. I agree. It's it's a good thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, it's it's really strange because I always thought quantum jumping was going from one reality to another in the sense of, let's say I'm an artist and I have this blank canvas in front of me and I have no idea how to go about it. Um, the, the, my understanding of quantum jumping was to uh, go within and it's almost like find an artist in the collective as part, you know, because, because there are many artists and draw from that reality or draw from that archetype as a way to bring it forward to help me paint my painting. Uh, same as a writer or a singer. And I thought quantum jumping is finding somebody, that archetype some in some other reality or some other paradigm as a way to bring it forward. That's what I thought quantum jumping was. I was obviously what- very wrong. There's one piece of it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's perfect. It's um, it's quite good to focus on yourself and to 
recognize that there are many different parts of you. I, I did that one when I was employed at Citibank <laughs> and I had, it was right after I finished my MBA and I was doing a project and they assigned me to do, um, they, they were working on a, an acquisition project. I was in the data center, the information technology sector. And so they'd given me a project to work on, but I wasn't included in all the meetings. And so while they were having some high level meetings, I thought, well, I'll just draw things up for a legal agreement so we can start. We'll be one step ahead for when we integrate the two informations technology divisions. So I was writing this up um, very much as if I was a lawyer. I did not study law, but I had the whole thing written in legal terminology because I was just feeling like I, had, I was feeling the vibe, like, what do we need? We need something written legally. Let's do it. Okay, I'll draft it now. But so when my boss came out of the meeting, she just was astonished, like, Where, how did you do this? And so, yeah, you can absolutely do that. <laughs> I think I've been quantum jumping all my life. So for me, it's very natural. It seems like, and I, I know that this is the way evolution works. I know it's the way that when we see an evolutionary leap and we see it in laboratory experiments too, where some bacteria have been starved and not given the kind of food that they're capable of digesting because maybe they have a lactose intolerance or what have you. And so they're given lactose-based food in, in their nutrient auger, which is not so nutritious for them. But in one single generation, they can totally instantly evolve and they do to become capable of digesting what now for them has become food that wasn't in the last generation. And so when we think, how on earth can nature do that? Well, we can do the same thing. We're doing it all the time. But by talking about it, writing about it, we're putting a spotlight on the topic of quantum jumping. And it totally involves all of these things, you know, reaching into the possible realities that, that we each could have, me being a lawyer. I have also jumped on the stage and played a drum kit when I don't play the drums. But I could hear it in my head and I could feel it in my hands. The drummer had left the stage and I thought, well... It was just an improv kind of a thing with friends playing music. And I thought, I need to, I can I can do this. I didn't even ask anyone. I just jumped up on the stage and I'd never played drums before. But that's the same thing. And you hear about this all the time with people who have, they get struck by lightning or they have some experience and they come out of a fever or what have you. They're speaking Chinese or they're able to do things that there's no reason or explanation how or why they could do it. So humans have had this capability for millennia. And all we're doing now is saying, okay, this has many, many facets to it. And it's not just ourselves. It's also the physical reality around us as well. Uh, but I think a lot of the people that talk about quantum jumping do focus on the individual because that's where we believe. Our, our belief systems are what limit us. And if we think all we can influence is ourselves, well, there we are. Then we better stick with that. Yeah, it's almost like you've got to become the thing that you want to become. It's it's almost um, when we talk about manifestation, for example, uh, it's it's not about trying to manifest something out here. It's actually becoming the thing that you want to become, whatever that is for that individual. Uh, you talked about the Mandela effect. Would you like to unpack that a little bit and explain to us what is that exactly? Yes, well, it came into popularity um, just now it's been a while, <laughs> around 2010, and there was a woman who popularized the term. But before she did that, her name was Fiona Broom. I want to give a shout out and some credit to Art Bell on the late night Coast to Coast radio show, because he had been noticing that people were phoning into his hotlines and asking him, have you noticed that it's kind of weird that Nelson Mandela um, 
you know, they say he, he died, but he's alive again. And there's just a lot of buzz and banter and talk about that. So this this Mandela effect began as what I had for years been calling the alive again phenomenon. Part of I even written an example of it in my book, Reality Shifts, back in the 1990s. So here it is, you know, decades later, and it's becoming a huge phenomenon where once people started noticing at a conference that Fiona Broom attended, a whole bunch of them remembered, wow, I also remember that Nelson Mandela had passed away when he was incarcerated on Robbins Island in South Africa. And it was such a common thing that the term Mandela effect stuck, even though that's typically not the kind of example that most people use when they talk about the Mandela effect. It does include celebrities or people that people are familiar with um, being alive again after having been previously reported dead by some reputable source. We just have the memories of it. There's hardly ever any proof of it, except when when we talk to one another. Hey, I remember that too. (laughs) In my book, Reality Shifts, I talked about the actor Larry Hagman, And so that was the first published example of such a thing. But the Hagman effect, I'm glad we don't have the Hagman effect because I think Mandela effect, it's a little bit better. No offense to Larry Hagman, but I like what Nelson Mandela stood for in terms of sovereignty of self and freedom. And those concepts really tie in what, what to me is the high potential of the Mandela effect. Okay, so other examples would be In Star Wars, there's that famous scene where Luke Skywalker is talking to Darth Vader and Darth Vader is um, now he says, no, I am your father. But a lot of people, myself included, remember being in the movie theater and hearing the actor who played him, um, Darth Vader, that is (laughs) saying, Luke, I am your father in a really deep resonant voice. Uh, So that's a big one. But it's not just movies, it's also products, things like Coca-Cola. There was like a little hyphen in there that people remember. Volkswagen, the logo seems different than, but it's never been changed. So these are corporate logos that seemed like they've changed, but apparently they haven't. And then a big one for a lot of people is the children's books, the Berenstein Bears, or which have now you know been the Berenstain Bears. And so these things are confusing. It's just like, you'll see something, hear it, and it's... The the official definition is not one I use, but it's the one that's on Wikipedia, which is mass misremembering. And I don't think of it as misremembering. What I would say is people are remembering what they remember. So it's a mismatched memory. The memory that we have does not match the um, recorded historical document. So, And it could be anything at all. Geography, human physiology, the kidneys are in a different place, the heart has moved. You know, so if you think, well, we're not affected. Yes, we are. This is billions of people on the planet. Um, I, I remember that the heart w- was slightly to the left um, of the center of the chest. Now it's much more in the, exactly in the center. I remember getting blood pressure tests. It needed to be done accurately on the left arm because the heart was on the left side. Uh, but that's no longer true. The kidneys are now higher. They've moved to the relative safety higher under the rib cage. They used to be exposed. And in martial arts, which I do, and boxing, it, it was an illegal maneuver to punch someone in what's called a kidney punch, because that's where the kidneys used to be, and they're not there now. And then geography's changed too. So the Mandela effect is huge, <laughs> just huge. That's amazing. And we were talking about this just the other day. The, I remember the same thing. It's it's interesting how everybody remembers different stories 
But I was wondering, and when we were having this conversation just the other week, I was saying that our, our, I guess, memories are always distorted because if you think back, if you bring something from the past into the present moment, who you are today, you have different uh, ways of thinking and seeing and feeling about certain situations. And I wonder where, whether we alter the reality of that memory every time we bring it here, depending on what here is, who we are at that present time. That's why I thought it was, but you're saying it's actually, it's it's almost like part of evolution expansion. Right. Yeah. But what you're saying, thank you for saying that, because that's a very valid point. And a lot of psychologists and brain researchers will say exactly what you said. And there's a lot of validity to it. And obviously, um, like if when I talk about reality shifts, this is another kind of Mandela effect. Um, what if you notice something seems to have moved around the house on its own, things aren't where you thought you put them, you might exactly that you might realize, well, I just I'm remembering it a little bit differently. The way we remember things changes, the memories can, you know, that that, that can happen. Um, but what gives the Mandela effect a little bit of extra validity is some recent research that was conducted by the University of Chicago psychologists. There were a couple of ladies there that did some phenomenal research. And what they were showing is that people were collectively mismatching their memories to a whole bunch of different things. Like there's a little character in the game Monopoly. If you remember the little guy that um, he's on the community chest cards. Um, so if you pass go, you have to collect money. And anyway, this picture shows up a few times, um, something like penny bags. <laughs> anyway, a lot of people remember if they're, if people are asked in, and they were asked in the study, um, how can you sketch him? Can you describe him? So they would draw what they remember. They were collectively having matched memories that do not, that were mismatched with what's currently always been true. And they'd put like a little monocle on this guy, which apparently he's never had a monocle, a little singular eyeglass to see through. And so the fact that people are collectively mismatching their memories in a very exactly the same fashion, that starts getting very interesting. Like, why would that be? Um, we have some other product logos that were tested in that university study, like the Fruit of the Loom logo. And a lot of people remember that the fruit were in a cornucopia basket. And so they'll draw that and they'll, they'll they'll volunteer. This is what I remember. And um, there are many other things they could have done. They could have put the fruit on a plate or, you know, lots of things, a regular basket with a handle, all sorts of things. But they don't do that. They do the same cornucopia. And then it's so confusing to them to see, like, what? What happened here? And so the fact that there's this collective grouping of these mismatched memories becomes extremely significant. It's, it's way beyond chance. And the researchers even pointed out there seems to be something to this beyond the idea that maybe when we remember things, we just start remembering them differently. Because it doesn't quite explain why so many people would do that the same way. So but more research needs to be done. Because mm, I, I, as you're saying this, I always think about uh, behavior breeds behavior. So as a collective, when we're together in a same room, how we can influence one another energetically from a vibrational frequency point of view would that have been something similar if they were in the same at the same campus or doing the same thing that maybe that would have impacted or uh, affected the results well it's possible uh, this is the kind of thing where the, you, uh, scientists like to have repeatable 
um, verifiable results. Uh, and my understanding of that particular study is that the people that participated were not all in the same room at the same time, but rather these were students and they were, uh, when they had free time, then not all of them at once, but maybe one or two, maybe a few at a time. I don't know, but I don't think they were collected together to do this as a group activity at all. So the field effect is interesting if it was able to be maintained, even though they were coming and going and maybe doing this on their computers remotely. So it'd be remarkable if that was happening. Maybe it was. I'm not saying it wasn't. I just, I'm just thinking it would be amazing if it was. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And when you were talking about reality shifts, uh, I know you were talking about things appearing and disappearing, and that happens to me all the time. I could be looking for my keys. I always lose my keys. And they'll be in the bowl. I'll look in the bowl. I didn't see it. And I'm still looking around the house frantically in my bag, go back to the bowl, and there they are. And I thought to myself, maybe that's because, you know, when you're in a state of panic because I don't I don't like being late, for example, um, whether that blocked my vision. But you're, you're saying that's actually a reality shift. It could be. I mean, obviously, you want to rule out the other possibility because um, it's possible if you're highly stressed, you can miss things that are right in front of you. I'm sure that's a very you know, verifiable phenomena as well. Um, but, but to rule that out, I don't know if you actually reached in the bowl to feel, are they there? You know, if you're doing that and you don't feel them, you don't see them. Okay, now that's pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> um, but it's still pretty mind-blowing. But I'm saying these things actually do appear and disappear and transform and transport. I'm saying the outrageous because I've actually heard it happen, seen it happen in real time. What I mean is I've been... I was talking to a friend once just standing next to the refrigerator and lamenting that like too bad we don't have any milk because I think we'd serve cookies to the kids and there's no milk. It was one of those moments. And I heard a thump inside the refrigerator that I was standing right next to. And I look at my friend like, did you hear that? And she said, yes. So I opened the refrigerator and a whole half gallon of milk had just landed on the top shelf of the refrigerator. And it sound, it, the sound it made was like it had fallen maybe an inch or two, not very far, just like thump. <laughs> and that's not that's not the only time things have just arrived in front of me with witnesses. So it's happened many times uh, to the point that I would not say that I'm you know, imagining this. I know for sure these things happen. And it, it's in keeping with um, these other things like teleporting right past an impending accident, a head-on collision, for example, which I'm telling you is a very common experience. Common being like 5% of the people listening to this show right now have had that experience, which to me is a very big secret because we don't talk about it. So I'm giving people hopefully some permission to, you know, it's okay to tell people about it. These things happen and you're not a freak. It does actually occur. That is my, I've never heard of it. I have had one experience where I was, it's almost like more of a knowing uh, where I stopped the car before going through the bridge and a car like cut, I, I would have uh, been collected. Uh, so there was an, almost like a knowing. Uh, and then there was another time with my son, we went to cross the road and I had witnesses. I had my sister and a friend behind me. It's almost like we got picked up and onto put onto the curb and yes. the car went past us. Okay, and, that's that's exactly it. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so when you talk about that, I get, I've got goosebumps yes. just thinking about yes. it. And I'm I'm sure my sister will watch this and go, I remember this, uh, that incident took place. That's it's exactly almost it. like we got lifted. Yes. And, and that happens when people, sometimes they'll get lifted out of a car. That's That happens a lot. So the car is totaled, but they... 
they don't even know how they got out of the car. And when they explain it to an officer, like, well, I was in the car and then I was lifted out. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense, but there they are. They're not in the car. The car got totaled. They're fine. So maybe if it's just the wildest thing. And I have a friend. She was lifted also, like like you described. She was she was also about to be struck. She was on the sidewalk and she got lifted and then like carried some feet away from where she was. She didn't jump. She was lifted. She describes it the same way. Yeah, and I think so that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. And I, I was saying to my son at the time, because I remember him looking at me and I, I didn't know how to respond. And then I remember saying to my sister, that it must have been like divine intervention. It wasn't our time that stepped in. Right. Mm. And when I collect these firsthand reports, I've been sharing uh, firsthand reports of these types of experiences for twenty over 25 years. And been sharing them on the Reality Shifters website month, every month. And one of the things that I'll definitely ask people is what what were you thinking? How were you feeling? And they might share what they attribute it to. And I don't, I, I'm, I welcome all of these possible explanations. So I'm not just putting my imprint, like it has to be physics only. Like, well, there's maybe a physical aspect. But when you say, I feel like that was divine intervention, then that's to me perfectly valid and really significant and very powerful. Mm, amazing. You, you actually opened up my eyes to something completely different now. And, and I have mm. a, a great, uh, a better understanding of uh, quantum jumping and reality. Um, one thing that I'd love to really unpack is consciousness. Cause we talk, consciousness gets banted around a lot. And I remember uh, somebody was saying once, and I can't remember who it was, it was saying consciousness is like if you can imagine a fish in a bowl, uh, a fish in water, and then you're asking the fish, what is consciousness? Consciousness is everything around us. Um, yet some people think it's an something that's individual. How would you describe what is consciousness? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a tough one. We we know what it is. It's like time. It's like, well, we experience it, right? We know when we have it. We see it when people seem like they're lacking it. Uh, they're lacking it if they're unconscious. <laughs> I know. Like, well, and that means that they're not clearly sensing. They're not, you can tell it. If their eyes are not looking in yours, you're not feeling that sense of connection. They don't seem to be connected to anything, even if their eyes are open. And so we know that consciousness is is very sacred in a sense because it's it indicates the presence of one's one's soul, one's spirit, one's being, and it is very unique in the sense that each one of us has um, a very unique relationship with that experience. At the same time, consciousness also, ironically and mysteriously, appears to connect everything. So everything seems to be connected through this mysterious consciousness that we each take very individually. And so I'm, I'm kind of describing it like the night, like the blind man and the elephant, like each one saying, okay, we've got a trunk, we've got a tail, we've got a large foot here. And I, that seems like the best way to describe and define consciousness because we're so immersed in it that it's impossible to separate ourselves enough to study it from the outside, which is what we usually think we can do to properly describe and and explain and you know clarify any kind of a topic. So consciousness itself is definitely mysterious and all aspects of it uh, uh, seems like they are challenging even for 
like physics and psychology to agree on. Same thing with time, by the way. If you're looking at the present moment now, there can be some disagreement on what does that mean? And so just getting simple terms like that to agree is um, almost beyond us. But having said all that, consciousness is, uh, to me, fundamental. And so I'll definitely agree with Max Planck that said consciousness, he said the, that exact thing. It's fundamental. You can't get behind consciousness. It's, it's sort of the implicit basis by which all of everything exists. And to me, that seems still quite true. So if we st say consciousness is the most fundamental essence of who we really are, that's also my experience. Because I do remember existing before I was in a material form. And, and that kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like if we, we would expect some people to have that experience. And there are quite a few of us that do. So what do we do with that consciousness sensation then? How do we, what does it mean when we recognize that we are consciousness, it's fundamental, we're connected to everything, yet it's unique? Um, well, I think these clues kind of start helping us recognize what we're here to be and what we're here to do. And it helps us answer that question, what are we living for? Uh, it gives us meaning. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't answer it for everybody else, but for each of us, it's good to take a look at that. And then we, we, before we came on the show, we were talking about manifestation because we were talking about how uh, I know a lot of our tribe have been like talking about, why don't we get somebody to come in and help us shift our uh, energy towards money and finance because of their experience of the interest rates going up and financial hardship and all of these kinds of things and I know in one of your books and by the way we are going to have a, a Cynthia has got lots of book I think five or six books all together uh, and everything we are speaking about today, you will find in uh, in some of the most amazing books, which we'll have in the show notes. But you do have a book that specifically uh, focuses on money. So what would you say to our tribe for those that are, because I know, for example, when I have a bill coming in and these interest rates going up, I practice saying thank you because it's 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 that relationship with money that I have that I've had to shift because there was a belief system in our family that we had to work really hard for our money and so if I see that in our family we really and then I, I know other families who didn't have that belief that money would basically grew on trees and so I can see the difference in how we respond or react to uh, money uh, and, and anything financial. So, what would be how do how could we shift our reality when it comes to money? Yeah, well, you put your finger right on it. I said it beautifully. The, the book High Energy Money that I wrote. It's a small book, but it's all about looking at that relationship that we each have with money, and it's a very unique one again because each of us has our own unique beliefs about it, which maybe we've never really examined. I mean, outside of like the example you gave that you have to work really hard. Um, some people also have other other beliefs that somehow got deeply ingrained in them. And maybe it's not something they would have consciously chosen, like money is the root of all evil. But if you have something like that going on, definitely you'd want to weed that one out unless there's some reason you can think that you need it. Um, I would recommend pull that out like a weed, <laughs> like turn it around, cancel, cancel that one. So money doesn't need to be the root of all evil. That would be like saying water is the root of all evil. Money is an energy, just like anything else. And it's something that 
human society has relied upon for a long time, thousands of years. There's a long history of money, and it goes back way before paper money. Um, there's some funny, interesting pictures and examples and stories in that book about how different ways people have worked with money. But the point really is it's the relationships that makes all the difference. And so what you said it exactly right. Now, once we know that, then how do you turn that around? Um, the book describes, um, it does a little it, it inventory so you can kind of see what your beliefs are at different levels of your consciousness to determine, is this a subconscious belief about money or is it something that you think about in your waking life or is it, close to your heart, you know, where does it hit and what is it? But but basically the trick is once you find some kind of a belief about money that seems like it's counterproductive, you can flip that to its reverse and turn it into an affirmation that you can then work with. And so the book provides assistance in doing that. Um, but it's it really is all about the relationship with money. And if you it may be a stretch for people to just go from being terrified of money, like, ah, it's like the boogeyman, to having it be their best friend. Uh, but it's a process. And so if you know that and you're willing to start at least being real and honest with yourself, what are your beliefs about money, which probably aren't really yours. They may have been instilled in you by your family of origin. And if, I love the example you gave too, Catherine, about how many families just are so different in the way that kids are raised and they don't have that fear. They just know it's going to be fine. And so you could put the two kids from different families down in the same environment. And the one who's always felt like it'll be fine uh, might succeed quite well with that wonderful relationship with money, just that relaxed, effortless, you know, it's, it's being in a very neutral place is the goal. And people who do a lot of meditation or Qigong or Tai Chi, that kind of thing, they'll know, oh, I know this state. Just to be to have a mind that's at peace, be in a very neutral, accepting place. So that's another way to look at where you want to be with that good relationship with money. Mm, and you talked about subconscious. And I know there's lots of wonderful mm. th things that sit in the subconscious, whether the limiting beliefs and fears and all of those wonderful things that sit there. How do we tap into what resides in the subconscious part of our mind? Um, well, you I mean, how do you hear it? Uh, it? It helps to do meditation, but if you don't do that, then you can listen to your dreams. Um, if you're getting certain kinds of dreams that are troubling, then you might Start paying attention to what is that. And even if it seems like, well, this is not my issue. It, well, maybe not. But if you keep having a dream about it, it's telling you something. And so that would be a good place to start. Um, hopefully people watching your show, listening to you, understand the importance of meditation. And in that case, then they will be able to listen to their gut feelings, feel where there's tension in the body, recognize you can give it a voice, you can listen to it. And and you can even ask it to give you a message in meditation or in a dream, and then hopefully be able to start recognizing, oh, there was something here that I didn't know was here. And so I think the key is just hearing it, giving yourself space to, to feel safe, that it's okay to hear whatever this is. It's not, it's not the end of the world. Once again, the goal is to feel neutral, accepting, and open and relaxed. So when you know that's the goal, and then you feel tension. And they can listen to the tension and hear it out. That can help a lot. Mm, thank you. And I, I, I always 
think about collecting my dreams and I forget every time. You know, it's one of those things, I'm going to remember my dream. I wake up in the morning and I don't remember them, but that is a, a really good point is to collect your dreams and the stories that come out of your dreams. I love that. Thank you. So, Cynthia, I know you've got uh, some amazing shiny golden nuggets. So as we wrap up the show, we always love to ask our guests to share three shiny golden nuggets uh, for our family so what would be those three practical exercises that you would like to leave for our tribe? Oh, thank you. Yeah, the first one, I'd like to emphasize how to align uh, these these parts of ourselves, because I've been referring to it throughout this whole conversation, but I haven't gotten into as much of the specifics. And so I'm just putting my hands up by my head. So if you think of like a snowman, there's like the head, there's the body, and then there's the gut. So it's like three different sections. And these correspond roughly to groupings of the chakras. but uh, what they really help to remind us is that you can bring yourself into alignment with yourself so that what you are envisioning for yourself matches what you truly love and it matches what you actually genuinely need. And so this is um, just taking a moment to line this up makes such a big difference because it can help to um, keep you on a good track in life. And I think the last few years, many of us have had an opportunity to start recognizing um, that we may have been out of alignment. So you know what that feels like. I think most of us feel like, okay, I know what that feels like. So um, recognizing for yourself, if you close your eyes and you just imagine, okay, where am I feeling um, any tension or out of neutral and out of openness and alignment? You can sort of feel like, where does it feel like that might be happening? Maybe your heart's not in what you're doing, or you feel like you're looking at a choice or a plan and wondering, is this the right thing? So you can just uh, practice bringing your awareness to that, wherever the tension may be. Might be just uh, sometimes this hits in the gut area, usually, uh, quite often between the heart and the belly button. A lot of people have issues there. Um, wherever it's feeling very present, you can breathe to that tension. And just for right now, imagine that you can bring in calmness, neutrality, openness, and that we're just going to be releasing that tension and allowing yourself to naturally align with your head, your heart, and your gut so you can be all of, all of one piece so that you can be true to you, what you truly need, what you truly love, what you truly envision for yourself. You can breathe in this calmness and this peace just like looking at a still lake very calm very clear and just exhale and clear out any of the tension that might have been starting to gather there and if there's a whole lot of tension then you might want to start each day or just end each day this way just give yourself a few minutes to check in see how you're doing and this is really powerful even if you don't necessarily figure out what the tension means. Sometimes we get fixated on what is this? And it's enough just to notice there's some tension there. And the goal is just for a few minutes a day, you deserve some time just to feel completely at one with yourself, completely relaxed, releasing any and all tension of all kinds. So it's really sort of a just for right now thing. And the advantage is huge because it helps to clear what otherwise might become a blockage or may have been a blockage. And again, if it feels super, super tense, then, well, 
might want to take a few more minutes maybe to make this into a longer meditation for you. Give it 10 or 20 minutes to, until it's completely clearing up. And sometimes it helps to remind yourself that whatever you're feeling, it's not you, that we're just observing this and recognizing we can let it go. It's probably some intention that you're taking on responsibility for something, but you don't need to take on that responsibility right now. So the key for this release is to know right now, you can let it go. It's safe right now. And then when you come back to opening your eyes and feeling like you're fully back together, you can still do some deep breaths and just notice if you're feeling any difference in how you're all pulled together more of all of one piece. <laughs> and usually it's a pretty powerful effect. And it can, this, if you do this regularly, it can be pretty quick and you can feel like, feel a lot better. It helps to do this before you're about to talk to people. Actually, before anything, because you'll feel more like you're really fully there. And everyone will notice and it, everybody benefits, whether it's you're doing something fun or doing something challenging. Either way, this is a very good exercise. Thank you for that. I feel very centered. Yay. So the second one, this one, um, this is rising above the drama or exiting the drama triangle. So I think I'll need to explain what that is first before doing the exercise. <laughs> okay, I'll just make a little triangle shape here. So with my hands. So if you think of a drama triangle, this was an idea that was presented first by Mr. Karpman. And he was proposing that when we come into life, we often feel um, sad when we get abandoned as, as infants. Unless we're coddled all the time, chances are pretty good that we're not going to get all of our needs, needs met instantly. And so we might be crying. Babies cry a lot. And, and that, that can lead into feelings of um, some children feel abandoned because they have been. So there can be some legitimate feelings of sadness and grief there. That's the victim part of the drama triangle. As we get older, we naturally evolve into playing the role of the rescuer. And so this would be the person who is often very anxious. You'll notice that per this personality trait, this role is accompanied by a lot of uh, fear, anxiety, um, really feeling like the sky is falling. And, and, we, and furthermore, because we're concerned about it, we need to help save other people. Never mind if they ask to be saved or not, but it's something that just feels like have to do it. It's almost, it's a gripping kind of a possessed feeling. And then the third is the perpetrator, which would be the person who's often recognized playing their role as being quite angry because they know what should be done and people are not doing it. And so they are just like, you're going to, it's my way or the highway. Let's do it the right way. And they often don't notice that they're playing the villain. They think that they happen to know what's correct. They're they think they're playing a leadership role. And so the whole drama triangle then becomes an unhappy merry-go-round. So once you notice it, like, oh, my gosh, I see this in my family dynamics. I see it everywhere. I see it <laughs> all over the place. And if you feel like this is not serving any useful purpose, that's a good place to be in. Once you notice that you're ready to let that go or at least try to escape this drama triangle, um, it is possible to do so by, first of all, recognizing that you're the observer. So whatever seems like it's going on, 
whoever the bad guy, you know, there's probably some bad guy in everybody's life and they're doing something awful and we should all get upset. But you can notice, first of all, how are you feeling about that? Is it, are you feeling victimized? Which is fine. There's no wrong answer and there's nothing wrong here. So if you feel like, I feel like a victim, feeling really sad about it, then it's good to notice that. Or if you're feeling terrified, like that's the bad guy and I don't know what we're going to do. It's like, things are very scary right now. Um, that's good to notice. And if you're feeling angry, like I'm going to fight that bad guy. Yeah, he's the bad guy. And I'm, we're going to duke it out. <laughs> we're going to have a duel at dawn, that kind of thing. Like, okay, well, then, you know, you're pissed off and angry. And that's another, um, it's, it's a reaction, but it might not be the most effective reaction. And so the exercise, once you recognize, okay, I see the drama triangle. I'm ready to experience what's beyond that. What is beyond that? Um, basically, what's beyond that is uh, we'll do a little meditation together. This one will be just to be the observer and recognize that whatever those thoughts are and those feelings are, those are just thoughts and feelings. They're not you. And so the goal is to, as you observe this in whatever your current situation is, to increasingly get, actually gain a sense of joy, believe it or not, bliss, reverence, gratitude. You might think that's not going to happen. Uh, but that's the end goal. So in this particular exercise, it could be anywhere from I feel a little bit better to I feel blissed out. And all of these answers are possible. And it kind of depends on your long history of meditation and how much you've been working on this. So let's close our eyes again. So just imagine, pick any situation in your life where you definitely have some kind of drama. Families are usually a hotbed for this. So you might notice like, oh, family drama. There's something happening. You know where it is because it's like, well, this is not what it should be. <laughs> and it, that's usually the way we're feeling about it. Like something's wrong here. So feel how you're feeling about that. Notice where in your body you're feeling it. If, if that occurs to you, you might get a physical. And remember, you can breathe to that. So you can start releasing it a little bit. And then if you're noticing what that feeling is, so we're just sort of paying attention to how you're feeling. like. What's the emotion? What's the physical feeling? Maybe some thoughts are coming up, so you can notice all of that. Okay. And now we're going to um, say, I'm just saying thank you to that part of the experience. Good. We're going to take several steps back now and not be quite so immersed in this experience. So you can actually take some big steps back from it far enough so that you can observe that whole drama as if it's like a movie. And you're watching someone playing you as an actor or actress in your life and the other players, the other people that are involved. And when you're watching it more like a movie, you can start to see like those are not you, the thoughts and feelings and so forth. It is like a story. You could stop it. You could go have a meal and come back and start it up again. So it's not really, it's not you. It's not the definition of you. And these thoughts and feelings that you thought you were having, which are quite genuine, but they're not the definition of who you, the observer right now, really are. You, the observer, are a higher level of consciousness than the part of you that was directly experiencing all that drama. So just take a moment and really notice you, the observer, that, that you're a few steps removed. It's like you're in the back of the theater watching the movie. You can actually observe yourself from a distance 
and you recognize that you are not the yourself who's the actor in the stage of life, but you are the observer. And as that observer, you can maintain a sense of timelessness and, and balance and neutrality. Actually, a sense of peace and love and connection with everyone involved. And it's possible to actually feel love, joy, grace, and even gratitude and reverence for the entire situation. So it's possible to attain a level of conscious awareness, which is quite different from being caught up in the moment and caught up in all those reactions that might have been happening previously. You can start to see that the way things are happening might be perfect, even though previously it didn't seem that way. And you can start to feel a, a richer and deeper sense of peace and gratitude that everything's just fine the way that it is. And in fact, maybe it doesn't need to be struggled with, whatever the situation was. Maybe there are some aspects of it that you can start to feel a deep and inner sense of peace that everything is actually just fine. And you can start to feel that no matter what's happened, you actually do love everybody involved. Even difficult situations, even when people have been doing terrible things, maybe they're all doing the best they can, as impossible as that may seem. But maybe that's true. And by your finding this new sense of peace and inner harmony and inner balance and grace and gratitude and reverence, you can set yourself free from that entire drama pattern, at least in this one moment right now. And by practicing this as a meditation, it is possible to feel grace and gratitude and peace and balance in pretty much any situation. And that would be a goal. So just noticing right now, can you feel a difference from where you were when you started thinking about the situation to right now? And hopefully you can, and hopefully it feels anywhere from a little bit to a whole lot better. And that's the second <laughs> golden nugget. And then I've, hopefully everyone could feel that. I, I think that one is really useful. <laughs> Okay, this third one is a golden nugget for optimizing the outcome in pretty much every situation. And this has to do with physicist John Archibald Wheeler. I love his work, and he came up with the idea of black holes and white holes and the participatory universe and so forth. And he, I'm giving him credit. He's passed away now. But his idea was that when you ask nature a question, nature answers that means that what we tend to be thinking all the time or saying or making into a mantra is very powerful in our lives. And so this question is my personal favorite. And I ask it in every situation. I wake up and I think it. It's my daily prayer. The question is, how good can it get? <laughs> and this is just an invitation for the universe to grace us with the answer to that question in every way possible, every situation. And it doesn't mean that you need to suddenly be a Pollyanna and ridiculously cheerful. I know it might sound that way, but you can say how good can it get when you're feeling sarcastic 
when you're feeling devastated. Um, you, could, you, you might even feel like, what's the point in asking this? Everything's falling apart. But ask it anyway. Uh, so from the deepest depths of despair to the greatest fear to feeling angry, always keep that question handy. And the reason is it can help to pull you out of that drama. <laughs> it can do this naturally. It can bring blessings and miracles. It can bring miraculous events far beyond anything that you might have even wished for yourself. And by keeping it open-ended like that, uh, as you can see, it can benefit everybody involved. So it's it's ultimately helping all of us. So that's my, again, I'll just repeat it. How good can it get? And that is my favorite question. I love that. How good it can it get? I'm going to have to write that on a sticky note and have it in front of me. Thank you so much. That's a great one. So Cynthia, oh, where is the best place for our tribe to find you we'll have everything in the show notes but where do you hang out the most uh hang out well i don't really hang out on social media i check in from now on from time to time anywhere from youtube facebook instagram linkedin twitter and those are all good and then um i write on substack occasionally and i've got a podcast but then i've got my newsletter and i i'm constantly thinking about my newsletter putting together the next issue. So people send me questions with emails and I write the answers and put the answers in each month. So the website is realityshifters.com. And that's also a good place to hopefully find the links to all those other things. Yeah, and all the books, uh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was really excited to unpack quantum uh, jumping, which is something I obviously got totally wrong. And it, it's you've you've done it in a way that the way that you've explained it, you've really simplified it for every single one of us. So I really enjoyed the information you shared with us today. I had a, a couple of light bulb moments. So thank you so much for coming on show for sharing your wealth of wisdom and thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Love it so much. Love you. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste. Namaste.